Welcome to the award-winning Disrupt Education podcast, a podcast that explores the latest innovations and trends in the world of education. I'm your host, Peter Hostrosser, along with Allie Privet. We're both educators. Okay, one of us is a former educator, and we were tired of the status quo and wanted to create a space where we could have conversations that aren't always in the public eye. Join us as we talk to other disruptors, educators, researchers, and thought leaders who are pushing the boundaries and challenging the way we were taught. We're thrilled you're here to be part of a not-so-underground movement to disrupt and amplify the good pieces in education. Whether you're a teacher, a parent, or a lifelong learner, there's a story for everyone on Disrupt Education. We're here each week to bring you stories from all over the globe of people doing education differently. Buckle your seatbelt, get on the disruptor plane as we climb to altitude before letting this episode free fall straight to your ears. Hey, it's Peter Hostrauser here. And hey, I want to tell you something about how I am actually disrupting education. Yeah, I'm moving forward with portfolios on spikeview.com. If you head over to spikeview.com, Basically, what we're teaching our students to do is actually to create a skills-based portfolio around their interests, through their passions, and what they're good at. It's called the strength-based approach. So basically, what we do is we build up our students and have them understand what they're good at and what they're interested in by the time they leave our high school. But it doesn't stop there. It's a K through gray. So if you want your students to continue to build their strengths in this day and age where resumes are dying and to show more and more about who they are, what they do, and they actually control all the data behind it, guess what? SpikeView is the place for you. Head over to spikeview.com, check it out. Let me know if you need anything because I tell you what, I have used this with my own family and my students. Check out spikeview.com today. Welcome back, everybody, to the Disrupt Education Podcast. Allie Privet is here with me, Peter Hostrosser. Thank you guys for joining us. Uh, wow. Uh, mindfulness. Let's get mindful. Kind of a recap. Got some good ideas uh, from our previous podcast. But where do you want to start on it, Allie? I think, you know, we were just like in celebration mode that this topic was being brought uh, to the podcast and the idea of not just checking the box on social emotional um learning and mental health and really looking at what it means to practice mindfulness and how that can impact learning and the educational system 100% um i think uh i mentioned before this podcast i have a kind of a funny story it's not really fun. It's kind of sad, actually. But uh, in our day to day lives uh, as educators, um, they're so fast. There's rarely time to <clears throat> sit back and, you know, just take a moment. Um, um, and that moment can be five minutes. It can be 20 minutes. But I, it's weird. And I'll go down that culture path in a minute um, with the, with a top down. You should be working the whole time, blah, blah, blah. But one thing that um, our school kind of it does, and it's I, I see the effort behind it, so I don't want to totally like rip it apart. But um, you know, we we do a after our second period starts, um, we do a or no, it's first period, um, the pledge of allegiance, um, and then um, 
there is take a moment and think about what you're doing today. Like it's like a, and then it's literally less than 60 seconds of, all right, well, have a great day, you know? And it's, it's, it's funny that we still do it because we're really not intentional, right? It's just a, it's a check the box meditation for 30 seconds. And, you know, the kids don't get, it's not intentional. And I think that's something that, that Dexter brought um, to the forefront around being very intentional on this practice and, and giving the history of meditation and slowing down, which maybe schools used to do back in the one schoolhouse day, but I have never seen it in my 21 years. It's always been go, 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 shove as much information in this kid's head. Let's see if they can score. Let's get them out after four years and let's move on. Let's do it again and again and again. Um, I don't know. What what are your thoughts on that? That was just kind of funny. It's like, take a moment, think about what you're doing today. All right, have a good I, day. <laughs> right. I think I have experienced a, not that exact same model, but been in spaces where, you know, okay, where are you at today? And it is this very quick 30 seconds to a minute, and then we're moving on to the next thing. And school is very much and teaching is very much, I think it's almost equivalent at this point to the scroll on social media, the swiping. Yeah. It's like yeah. you are there, you're in this moment and then swipe next. And then, oh, you're here and swipe next. Like it, it is this barrage of content and uh, experiences and it's, it's, it's a lot. And I don't, I don't see space for mindfulness and this practice in a bell type schedule. And one of the, one of the biggest reasons why um, I went to and accepted the, the position at Bard College to be an instructor is the ability to have what I would call flow states. And it, it isn't a strict schedule. There aren't bells in college um, period, but when we're doing an activity, there are suggested times and suggested practices, um, but it always says give space for how long, you know, your students need to spend on this. And I remember doing some writing activities where in my mind, I had set aside five minutes for the students to kind of write and reflect. And, you know, just for a general guide of of time, because I lived in a time-based world for so long in the, in the secondary setting. But what I often found is that with students having um, a free time to write and, and reflect, often took 10, 15, 20 minutes uninterrupted. And they would just write and write and write and like what they wrote and what they were doing during that time, it seemed like endless. And I never told the students because I wanted this sense of timelessness of how long they were going to have to write. Because the few times that I did put a time on it, I could feel the angst. I could feel the rush and their work mm -hmm. wasn't as good. And so the school model that you and I know very well 
it, it's going to be difficult to fully embrace these practices in the current system. And I know we've talked about like, what can, I don't want to like discourage and start this conversation. Oh, well, you can't do it because you're in this, this time right. box, but it is a big issue, right? Like in terms of being able to actually practice this and have time for it within the current system that is so time focused. There isn't this sense of timelessness in school. It is very much marching orders, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, left, you know, um, scroll uh, experience. And it was, it, it has been something that has in my own practice, you know, has made me reflect that that's not the way I want it. That's not the way I want to teach. I'm sure lots of teachers, you know, they, maybe fight against it in their own like many mm -hmm. ways but it's uh it's certainly something that there's a lot of room for growth um in the current traditional system you know one of the things that uh, i'm taking away from this is i was thinking about my internship class that i had last year i'm going to do it again this year um where i mean again this is a class where i'm maxed out at 15 kids so it's, it's smaller number one i think that's one thing in order to maintain the organized chaos that we do in classrooms um if 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 we're going to do this properly um smaller class sizes not because i'm lazy or anything like that because i can connect better in the time that i'm given with a smaller class size um and it's just been proven in my own experiences, um, data or not, we <laughs> got data. But one of the things that we did um, last year is we just took the kids and I was like, yo, let's just take a walk through the halls, you know? Yeah, we're in the box, but, and you can do that when you had like six or seven kids there, right? 30, 40, you're starting to herd cats, you know? But like, and they loved it. They actually, they were like, I love it, man. We're just, you know, walking through the halls. You just randomly do things or we would go outside when the weather permitted, et cetera. Um, and I think, you know, building those things into a, uh, into a classroom, I think as an educator, you really have to start to think, okay, like you said, how can we build something outside the box in the box? Um, I'm thinking of phone free Fridays or, um, you know, different areas to where, um, where we just have conversations, um, rather than, you know, going through stuff, um, there's, and I get it, educators out there, I know you're going to be fighting against that one kid who's like, well, I got a math test next period, or I got like this, um, or I didn't get sleep and they just put their heads down and they fall asleep. Like there are so many pieces there. And remember, I think one of the things that I'm going to take from what Dexter kind of helped think about was, you know, you can't have an ego big enough to say, I'm going to get 100% of these kids every day. You just, you just can't, but try to get like one more kid the next day, whatever situation you're in, um, you know, to really dig deep into those moments and just have thoughts. I have slowed down classes. Uh, one of the things that I failed with is when I have slowed down classes, kids just go right to this and they're just like, you know, and they're not really slowing down. And so I have to be more cognizant of that and try to figure out different ways. Can I look, can I put a point value on a kid in one of those days where if you don't pick up your phone or you have it off or I don't see it, I'm going to give you 20 points 
If you look at it maybe once, I'll give you 10 points for that day. Um, if you're on it the whole time, you're going to get zero points. I know I'm going to get pushback from people, parents, whatever, but I'm willing to try things like that as to just get that mindfulness that we all need. Um, because if you're going to take this seriously, you're going to have to try to not just say, take a moment, think about what we're doing today. All right, have a good day. So these are the kind of the things that are running through my mind after uh, speaking to Dexter, because I think he just really gave me and our listeners uh, a huge amount of just kind of ways that, you know, it's not going to work with everybody, but, you know, try new things, you know. I will say that a, a practice that revolutionized my classroom, and I was allowed the autonomy to do this, was students had to put their phones in a cubby the beginning of the period, and they would then stay there they and they were enclosed um safely during the class period uh it, because any emergency that you know uh, a student would have their parent could contact the school like that that landline phone that we had in <laughs> classroom what is like, that landline what i know right could be reached you know whatever the, <laughs> the, the phone line antiquated technology but at first students would um oh you could visibly see the the detox happening and and myself as an educator it was so easy not to be on the on my own phone because as a as a teacher leading all these students actually isn't like time to, to do anything but what i found was students were able to be in the moment more and distracted so much less um obviously when we had covid and 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 went through the pandemic and we we're across screens you can't really prevent that but that encouragement of a phone free zone there and dexter talked about this in the podcast and and it's why you know at the time of this recording i have made a personal decision to um remove all social media from my phone for at least a month um in the summer and it's to kind of to embody that practice of mindfulness and boundaries around technology. It's becoming, you know, like, oh, technology can do so much and we need to embrace it and we need to include it more. And at what cost? I I, I just think that there is so much we can do in real time in a classroom without screens that is really disrupting education in today's world. It, I can't think of something that would disrupt education more than saying like, right, we're gonna it, it, go back to the olden days, quote unquote, where there wasn't this and have to sit around and talk to one another. Uh, there, it also goes back to this idea and I love that Dexter has a STEM background, right? So I, as a science teacher, STEM background, and, you know, right, measure and labs and data is what you kind of get indoctrinated into the science world. And it was so interesting in my own evolution, and I and I know I'm not the only one in education to be like, we don't need more data. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we don't need more numbers. We don't need to measure people with a score. We... We started off this whole series um, last year, or uh, like or me and you started podcasting 
all around this idea of going beyond the score and the grade and a number on a piece of paper. And you can't maybe put a value on someone better understanding their inner self, but you'll know it when you see it. Mm -hmm. it you Dexter see it. On. Yeah, definitely. I like that you went all the way back. Yeah, that was it's a throwback there going beyond the grade. I saw the folder uh, on my computer. It's like sitting right there. Um, I, I, you know, I agree 100% with that. When it comes to data, I know a lot of educators are just done with data. Um, and unfortunately, you know, it's the world that school boards, uh, state school boards, lawmakers and, and administration live by. Um, how many students feel they need to be at a certain point? They need to, you know, the best schools, let's be honest, are the 100% admittance rate into college and the kids have uh, this amount of a GPA and the average SAT score. As much as US News World and Report, I'm gonna call them out, that they say they're adding other things here, they're not, right? Like, oh, my school. So if my kid goes to this school, they're gonna know exactly what their path is gonna be at 18. They're never gonna have you know, problems, et cetera, you know, but, you know, when you dig deeper into that, I think that that is where you're talking about, you will, will, will reveal who has a very good um, foundation with themselves and who doesn't. And, and as we were talking through that conversation, I was thinking about the 20 to 30, maybe percent that school really does work really well for. And I would love to see, not that I'm jumping back into data, but how many of those students really have like a very good sense of self? Now, I don't even know if that's measurable, but um, I'm sure a psychologist out there, I'll tell you it is. But, um, you know, how many have that foundation of risk taking and understanding failure? And what are the other things that maybe we're missing because I feel like sometimes we're we're building curriculum on quicksand. You know, um, we have all these things that we want our students to know, but we don't really understand the basis of who they are. But we're just still going to continue to bring in construction materials and continue to try to build on that student. Um, yet it's just going to sink into nothing because there's too many different factors that are coming into play. And I think what Dexter brought forward in the conversation was the fact that if a young person or anybody in that matter will check their ego, understand where their ego line is drawn, understand that slowing down and becoming connected with people is one of the most important things everybody needs before they get a load of curriculum. Um, I, I think you're going to see success. Um, I don't know. That's that was a big takeaway of mine as well. Huge takeaway because schools like to pretend with data that they're perfect mm -hmm. or perfect for you know right now and. And, I, and I'm not sitting here saying like, oh, yeah, that that's the tagline of, of schools. But it's it's a current that is there because, you know, they're not changing. Mm 
-hmm. right? The leader, this is how we've done it, or we're making this change because of the data and not because of relationships or really kind of thinking outside of is what we're doing best for young people? Because if, if it was, then I don't think school would look the way that it does right now. And what money talks, we've, we've said that before and funders typically want data. You know, there aren't people just writing checks to be like, for as far as I know, <laughs> take my kid into the wilderness and have them meditate and like really figure out who they are and, you know, what, what they kind of envision for a future and not seven periods of math, science, history, English, band, you know, gym health like all of these other things which are foundations for something um but it's so much and it's so fast uh mm -hmm. there this practice of silence and uh mindfulness i i even i grew up you know going to school in the 90s early 2000s and I wouldn't say that school felt like rapid. Um, it, it felt, you know, movable. It was busy, um, you know, because you had school and then you had sports or activities. But I remember having to say no to things um, and that getting pushback to mm. to say no to like taking all seven classes my senior year. I wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to reduce the number. I wanted to take six and early release. And there was no reason other than I didn't want to take another class. I had met the graduation requirements. I didn't need to fill my box, but the expectation was there that I did as much as I could, took as many classes as I could. When you kind of buck against the system, right? Um, individually, it might not seem like so much, but there are things that uh, you have to kind of work through and have that kind of confidence to say, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to follow the path, the traditional path. And I, I do think that young people and parents have so we have so much more power than they think they do by where they put their students into school. Hmm right and the types of models that are are working i know my my cousin leads a a charter school uh in colorado and it's like an art and kind of a mix of monastery school that from what i understand of it and i mean that they have a wait list a demand they do mm -hmm. a very non-traditional um school model well, it there's obviously a demand for that because they have a, a long wait list um, for it. So they, there are opportunities to build, you know, a mindfulness school or a school that like does kind of buck the traditional system. And we've had, you know, people on here, I'm thinking of Maureen O'Shaughnessy, who is a, is a developer of micro schools where there are these places where, you know, you can make a, a just 
decision for your family or for yourself, if you're a young person listening to this, of, of what type of educational experience you want. Um, and I know that that is a privileged statement to make because not everybody has those, those same opportunities, but the more this type of uh, model is even known or talked about, the more opportunities we can create for people who may not even have heard of, of anything other than like, oh, we just go to the school down the street because that's my only option. Right, right. And for those um, who can't make those like those choices of maybe the socioeconomics or what other circumstances, um, this is where I love to play, honestly, um, in in a system. And yes, I'm in a public system. Do I agree with it? No. But I think uh, that that whole podcast gave me a chance to really kind of understand, OK, so how can I mess it up in my own classroom? Right. Because let's be honest, right? If you're an educator in the public system, um, you can produce what you need to produce. Like I have faith in a lot of educators that they can do that, right? Within a semester or a year or whatever they need to do. But I'm going to encourage a lot of people in the system to not only check out the people we've had here on the past, like Maureen, like you said, does some amazing things. Um, maybe even connect with people like your cousin, um, but bring those little pieces into the classroom and just mess around with it, right? That's what that's what has kept me into this system for so long, just playing. Because, um, you know, I, I think when I was abiding by the rules constantly um, and not seeing results, I took it as it's my fault, right? Um, and then you know, I mean, there was a while where you fight with your own ego and, and such. And I think this is a path that a lot of teachers go through, even young teachers. Now, we didn't go down the rabbit hole of millennial and, and Gen Z educators, but I see more and more of them in new teacher meetings because I have to go to new teacher meetings, which is kind of funny, but it's kind of, I'll take the, try to take the high road. There's an opportunity there to see like younger folks coming through and what are they seeing? And they're just like, they're they're doing the same thing that I did, right? Except they're taking it harder because times have changed um, where you have a lot more distractions in front of you and they take it upon themselves. And then they try to come up with these different ways to make the system change, which was a mistake that I made. I tried to change the whole thing and like, let's go right now. But then when I realized I can control what I can control and let go of everything else, in that classroom period, that's where it got fun, Allie. And and there, yes, there are days where I come home and I'm just spent. And, you know, I've had four or five students that I just was banging my head against the wall trying to motivate and those things. However, I will know by the end of my whole tenure that I will not be that educator that said, man, I wish I tried, right? And I'm going to encourage everybody, if you're going to disrupt education, right, whether you're going, you're a parent sending your kid to a different place, or whether you're an educator or even an administrator, look, look at all the board notes. And you just brought this up before where you look at board notes and there's almost a toxic positivity in all of those. There's hardly anything that has oh, well, you know, we had this big challenge here and it just didn't work out. You will, I, if you all can just send me those board notes with that kind of stuff in it, I would love to read it because it just doesn't. And look, I, I get it. 
But I also think, you know, to be positive and be a leader that's like, yes, all right, we need to be optimistic. That's great. But I think part of being optimistic and having that really good foundation of self, like Dexter was talking about and that we're talking about here, is to being able to say, you know what, that didn't work or this isn't working. So let's try to figure out something here. I know we can do it. Let's try it. So I think the positivity has gone all the way to political positivity, where it's just like, everything's perfect. And I think that's where a lot of lower level administrators and educators and parents and especially students are like, WTF, what's going on here? That's not happening, you know, and then there's a trust issue. So Oh, the since you wanted to go down that road, I did. Right. Uh, <laughs> if people aren't aware of this, well, I'm just I'm I'll greatly pull back the curtain. Admin, um, and leadership in most school districts have to go through media training, just like political figures do. Yep. It is a political position, and so right this this idea of painting a picture a certain way, um, is is part of the the training. And it's take take that for whatever you want, but the the this idea of like board notes um being very uh tilted, shaded um in in a certain direction is it's not really showing the real challenges of of the of that everyone faces right like if a school district wanted to really do a, an accurate analysis um of where they're at they they don't even do like a SWOT analysis of strengths weaknesses opportunities and threats they they just they just focus on like well what are we doing well and let's just talk about that mm -hmm. <laughs> and because that's they don't want to, you know, they kind of want to sweep stuff under the rug and hope that it goes away. Um, you know, delay, 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 those types of things. It's it's political, right? Mm -hmm. Because off in public education, right, you've got board members that are elected. And so they're campaigning for votes. And then they're the ones that then, you know, whatever the setup is, then are working with the school leaders who are then trying to manage that relationship because the board people have power to sign off on initiatives. So it's like this whole, if, if people want, you know, if you aren't aware of, of how political that is, um, it is very much so, but that prevents some of these types of discussions and issues being brought up because they're not, they're, they're not like uh, fun topics. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's not. I don't know, exciting to be like, well, this is where we suck. And um, as a as a as a school system, we really need to work on this and mm -hmm. we need to bring it to the forefront and we need to go like have retreats and workshops and, and space and, and we need to invest in this. Right. Um, unless it's like oh my gosh, the school building is going to burn down unless we address this. <laughs> there's there's not a lot of motivation to address weaknesses um, yeah. because it's right, it's seen like you're you're weak. And mm -hmm. this, I, 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 I said it on Dexter's podcast, I've kind of come here. It's this idea that we need to be perfect or um, not fail, right? Mm -hmm. So the opposite mm -hmm. of that. Right. And what kind of, 
what kind of model is that setting for our young people? You know, if that is the presentation of an organization that they are in, whether or not they have any choice, mm -hmm. that's what's being presented to them. No wonder there are right. mental health issues and, you know, no sense of self or or a very minimal sense of self being developed because it's not being modeled mm -hmm. and it's not being presented. I think of, I grew up in Minnesota and if you haven't heard of the phrase Minnesota nice, it's basically a nice way of saying that Minnesotans are passive aggressive. <laughs> <laughs> and it is. No, I love that. I, yes, I have, uh, I have heard that. <laughs> you can't, it's not, it's not a great skill set to have, right. you know, having been, having grown up in that system. And then when I went to Missouri, there's definitely still that Midwestern. It's, it's a Midwestern stereotype. Um, but I see it. Right. And mm -hmm. uh, when I do see it, I think, you know, it's like this, this isn't, you know, the way to live, but it's <laughs> common. It's just the, the culture. Right. Right. I, you know, I think it's, it's like that just saying that out loud is like, okay. And being from, you know, you were there and it's like, you know, it's, it's vulnerable, like you're being vulnerable. And I think that was one thing that um, Dexter Spitz uh, brought out um, being vulnerable. I've, I'm always vulnerable in, in front of a classroom as much as I can be. Um, and, and I think, you know, there are great leaders, trust me, there's great, there's great administrators out there. There's great superintendents out there that are vulnerable uh, in front of um, people in general um it's weird though i think sometimes they get caught up um in you know not being in their shoes i don't want to say it's right or wrong but like you know that toxic positivity that's out there in the board meeting public meeting and then internally you're going to get an email that says hey we got a serious vaping problem and you know why can't we put that out into the community and say hey you know what if we're all going to be vulnerable here and i feel like that might be a, a challenge you know, as, um, you know, an educator, because now like the public is seeing all these wonderful things. And then they're hearing underneath that there's this terrible vaping problem. Well, what the hell are the teachers doing? You know, and I think that might be the constant disconnect. Again, something that you can or can't control, depending on what position you're in. Um, for an educator like me, what I had to do, and I think that's going to, that's going to continue to make me you know, um, happy and, and somebody who's helping others and maintaining my why in education is I can't control all of that. Like if I have one kid that is, you know, has a vape on them, I'll have that conversation in the class, you know, um, there's, there's administrative stuff that they have to put up with and everything like that. But I do, I do agree, you know, going into the vulnerability, um, especially in a classroom, right? Like, you know, I've done it before, even in entrepreneurship classes, like, look, man, if you guys come up with a solution to help young people stop vaping in the bathrooms of school, you'll be a multimillionaire today, because it's not just our school, it's across the United States, maybe in the world, I don't know what's going on outside of this. But it is now another thing, you know, if you come up with something that is going to connect people face to face and, you know, monitor their, their social media in a school, like you guys have the power to do that now, you know, and then have these conversations within a classroom and be vulnerable and just say, Hey, these are challenges, man. And this is what's happening. 
Um, because I think if we ignore it, the kids are like, well, they don't care, you know? And, and of course you're in that situation when you're young. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of little small things that we can do, um, no matter what position that we're in to just be real with them and be okay with, you know what, everything isn't positive, but that's okay because that's life, right? Like I'm, you know, at the time, you know, over the summertime, right? There's things I can't control. I'm sitting in Chicago, there's smoke rolling in from Canada, right? And it it was bad a few days. Um, and it's like, okay, so what can we control, right? Like I can't control, I can sit here and complain about that all day long and try to sue Canada, I'm sure there's a lawyer out there that'll try to do that, but like, you know, or I can, you know, take a look at, Hey, maybe I can learn a little bit about fires. This is interesting. Guess what I learned. And I knew I learned this back in the day, but I was teaching my own kids, you know, this is what the meteorology looks like when a low is sitting over Detroit and it's spinning and that's the power of the jet stream. You know, it, it sucks. I hope we fix it, but there's learning that can, that can happen in there. That was a weird story to tell about that, but I don't know. I just felt like telling the smoky Canadian story right now. <laughs> you know, it's, but it's looking for the opportunity in, in rather than focusing on just bashing, bashing it. And I do right. really appreciate that perspective that you clearly bring to the learning environment in your classroom. And I would say, you know, right? Like in my own teaching career, something I struggled with the entire time teaching a, you know, a less subjective subject as chemistry and physics, mm -hmm. that's math based and right. There is quote unquote a right answer um, is being quote unquote vulnerable with uh, my students. There didn't always seem to be space within the system that I taught in. I got better at it um, over time, but it was taking time away from the system in order to kind of recalibrate my own sense of self. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think there are opportunities to do that. You don't, not everyone needs to like, you know, leave the system or pause from the system in order to do that. But there, there are challenges as an educator to do the work that we're talking about and do the the type of um, uh, mindfulness work that Dexter talks about, and it's a real shame because I know that if I if if it was Allie two years ago in the class, maybe maybe four years ago, um, pre pandemic, the idea of mindfulness practices and slowing down and and all of this, I would have been less open-minded to it mm -hmm. because of the subject matter that I was, you know, commissioned to, my job was to teach. Yeah. And yet I do see the value um, of, of this type of work, no matter the subject area, whether it would be math, science, English, history. And so if you're feeling that way as an educator, I totally relate <laughs> to to that that sense and like how would you incorporate that into a chemistry classroom um and i 
I think about all the different ways chemistry is taught and the different chemistry teachers that I worked with, worked in close proximity to, or was part of other networks. And so many of them did these very creative things that I, at the time, maybe thought was like a waste of time, or this lab was like, oh my gosh, it doesn't even fit into the curriculum. And, <laughs> and how could you spend three days tie-dyeing, you know, like as an example that is coming to mind right now. And, but I see the community building and the the slowing down to take time for something that is meaningful and purposeful that yes, there's still chemistry in that. Uh, and no, it doesn't meet a quote unquote traditional standard or it's out of sequence or it didn't fit here, but it was worth it because it built time in to build community and um, have conversations that weren't around the strict curriculum mm -hmm. and uh, weaving that in more. I think that th that's a way to kind of maybe start and see how that feels because I, I, I would have had like a lot of angst with a podcast episode like this. Um, so if you're feeling that way, I, I totally, I can totally relate to it. I can also tell you that embracing that angst and working through that angst is also worth it. Mm -hmm. um, so I haven't, I mean, I don't always talk about uh, like the full kind of journey uh, that I've been on in terms of disrupting life and education, <laughs> but that's definitely an element that if I go back to any kind of teaching environment and the ones that I look at now are very non-traditional to allow space for those types of, of learning mm -hmm. opportunities. A rigid, inflexible system is not one I'm personally interested in, mm -hmm. but if you're still in that system, there are ways to, to kind of make it flexible. And Peter does amazing work with that. And there are other educators that do that. So, you know, explore um, and find communities where that is, if you still are in the system. Mm -hmm. Right. And I, I also I'm going to end on kind of the one of the thoughts that as you were saying, the inflexibility, I think one of the things obviously we've talked about school day and the, the inflexibility about that. I don't want to go down that path again, but I also want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, the flexibility of an educator leaving the classroom and then coming back or switching schools or communities. Right. I think we've made that inflexible as well. And I'm specifically talking about union contracts here where um, in, in the public system, unfortunately, you know, you lose years. There's a lot of damaging things that come to you financially um, if you leave and come back or you switch, right? And what is that saying, right? You're, that's, that's not really protecting or helping the situation. So if you can imagine what Dexter said about keeping, when, when somebody leaves is burnt out, the hole that that leaves and the amount of quote unquote money that goes into that, if you're looking at that dollar sign is way higher than trying to keep that person. Um, well, how about if you have to keep that person, that person can't leave or will just, they don't have anything else yet. They're burnt out in that for another 10 years or 20 years. So I think we need to make that flexible space. So if you're an administrator or a union head or somebody in these negotiations, I'm going to challenge you to come up with interesting ways because this Gen Z and Gen uh, Millennials are leaving the classroom earlier 
um, and as educators, and they're definitely not signing up for it. So I think we need to look at things a little bit that way. Now, again, for me, I'm an educator. We're coming into a new year. I'm going at it with optimism. I know there's going to be huge things that suck this year, but also I'm going to look at this as my playground. And um, I hope everybody else out there does that as well. But again, if you need, you know, you want you want to, even if you're in the class and you feel stuck and you want to work with somebody who's outside the classroom, um, who has been there and understands that, well, there's Allie right there. So, I mean, there's a lot of different things that, that we can help as well. So what are your, what are your final thoughts? There's so much, man, this could, this can be a whole series, but, um, you know, um, we'll probably get back on it. I think, I think we will. So because. All right. We have been uh, recording and, and kind of preparing for this fall season. And one of the one of the things that I'm about to embark on is a very clear boundary with social media and being off of it for an entire month. And so we'll likely recap that kind of experience, but how it could help our educators and the educational system. But I do think having more flexibility with um, developing mindfulness, inner self-work, confidence, and and backing that up with experiences, classes, um, hiring, you know, out, outside um, people to come into schools to do that type of work, you know, it, it's invaluable. You Schools need to be more flexible and, and do that type of work. And then they need to have stricter boundaries with um, and look into the data if they need to of what um, screen time and and phones and all of the technology is doing to the mental health and social emotional components of learning that are largely not being addressed because it would be too challenging to kind of navigate those waters. And so if I were going into a classroom this year, not only would I continue that practice of having a phone-free zone for learning, unless it required it for an activity, but I would also try and think about what are ways that I can incorporate the people that are literally right in front of me into um, everything that I'm doing and not doing it to check some box for social emotional learning, but to do it because that is the heart of education and it's the relationships and it's the communities. And the better you understand yourself, the better you can understand others and the community that you're a part of. Period. <laughs> Love it. Um, you know, again, challenge yourself. Don't put too much on your weight uh, of, you know, the entire classroom, right? You can't do that 100%. Um, just be better than you were yesterday. Um, but if you need to take those breaks, take those breaks. Uh, here's to another school year. We will definitely deconstruct your month off uh, alley of uh, technology or wherever it goes. Um, but uh, it'll be it'll be an interesting school year. Um, appreciate you all for listening. For Ali Privet, I'm Peter Hostrasser. Thanks again for hanging out with us on the Disrupt Education Podcast. We'll catch you next time.
Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of the Disrupt Education Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Are you ready to disrupt the educational arena you're a part of? For more ways to get involved in the work we do here at Disrupt Education, check us out at disrupteducation.co or find us on LinkedIn at Peter Hostrosser or Ali Privet. Our mission here is to help facilitate and amplify changes in the educational system through local initiatives and help you scale them into community movements. Our building network of disruptors in education are working to move beyond scores and grades as the only measure for student learning. If your school district, college, campus, or organization is looking for facilitators of this work, reach out on our website or social media. And if you have any thoughts or feedback on this week's episode or any episode, we'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep pushing the boundaries, taking risks, and most importantly, disrupting education.